faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings at a single bound. The incident ship on is now the man of steel. Superman! Hello, one and all. Welcome once again to Superman Forever Radio. This is episode 73. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. This week I have a trio of Power Records Superman adventures to add to your audio delight. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. First, I have a couple of bits of highly important updates and an email to get to. First of all, I'm preparing for my trip to the 2013 Metropolis Superman celebration with my Superman in the Bronze Age co-host, Charlie Niemeyer. I am really, really excited about this trip. Well, I always get excited about going to Metropolis, but I'm more excited because this year, the celebration will include the first Super Minicon, which will be right next door to the Chamber of Commerce. The Minicon will include a ton of Superman collectibles for sale. The Superman homepage will have a booth there. It's going to be a fantastic event. And thanks to the generosity of supercollectibles.com, the best Superman memorabilia store on the web, there will be live podcasting. That's right, Charlie and I will be recording some Superman podcastery live at 1 p.m. on Saturday, June 8th in the Super Minicon. That's inside of an air-conditioned building, folks. So if you want to meet me and Charlie and watch us record a podcast live, I will be surprised. No, I'm kidding. We're going to be at that Super Minicon on Saturday, June 8th at 1 p.m. Yes, I'm going to keep reiterating that. So stop by there, see us, say hi if you're at the celebration. And once again, that's thanks to the kind generosity of supercollectibles.com, who will have a massive selection of Superman merchandise for sale at the Minicon. And if you can't make it to the celebration, check out the episode right here and visit www.supercollectibles.com to see how vast the online store is. I mean, they've been in business for over 10 years, and seriously, if it's a Superman item, he has it for sale there. So June 8th, 1 p.m., Metropolis Super Minicon, live podcasting. And that will be next week's episode. And following that, the Man of Steel episode. Which, if everything works out the way it's supposed to, is going to have an additional special surprise portion in it as well. So a couple of really, really good episodes. Uh, Like I said, we do have one email from Mr. Brian Rosen. And then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. It is entitled, From Krypton to Metropolis, referring to episode 72 last week. And Brian writes, J. David, I love your show, especially the newest recording. Hearing the origin of Evil Lex happily reminded me of the Super Friends episode where the villains went back in time to wipe out Wonder Woman, Superman, and Green Lantern. The Superman portion had many elements of the origin that this book recording had. Did the book recording influence TV show writers or vice versa? Also, was this ever shown in the classic Superboy comic book? Keep up the good work, Brian Rosen. If you're referring to the way that Superboy accidentally wrecked Lex's lab, turning him against him... Yes, that really originated with Adventure Comics 271. I had to look that up real quick, and then I didn't remember it at the time of recording. But 271, Adventure Comics 271, a lot of that origin was pretty well canon at that point. So I would say it's to some extent it influenced the show writers, because that was essentially the status quo at that time. So they were pulling from that. But yes, uh, as I said, I really love that story. It meant a lot to me. Um, So, I was really glad to be able to present it, and kind of glad that I got a really positive reaction from that. And as you're going to see in just a moment, I've got some more audio goodness as I prepare for my vacation in Metropolis, and try to have a 
a little bit of a of downtime as it's going to be a hectic couple of weeks you know going to metropolis with charlie live podcasting and then there's going to be as i mentioned the man of steel episode which is going to be taking a lot of time uh, because i'll be seeing the movie twice plus there'll be a portion where should everything work out right i'll be doing a presentation at my local library about the history of superman on film which i'll include in the episode so yes that was uh that was the canon origin of the Earth-1 Lex Luthor for quite, quite, quite some time. But I have kind of run a little bit longer on this preamble, so just to reiterate, uh, June 8th, 1 p.m. At the, at the Metropolis Supercon, Super Minicon, Charlie Niemeyer and I live podcasting. If you're not there in person, check it out next week on episode 74. And I am going to segue to a break, and when we come back, some Power Records awesomeness. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. The dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. Every legend has a beginning. And we are back. As I prepared for my vacation, I was really excited to take a cue from Robert Kelly and the Always Excellent Fire and Water podcast to present some excellent Power Records audio. Now, Power Records was a specialty record label that presented audio interpretations of stories, a bit of a precursor to the audio dramas, or actually I guess it would be an audio drama, and sometimes it would actually accompany books. You would see kind of a, a iteration of this where you took a book and it played the distinctive gong every time you were to turn the page. I see a lot of you are nodding your heads along with your childhood memories. They had the license to both DC and Marvel comic characters and the released albums of their adventures. So what you're about to hear are three of those adventures. And I have the records in my collection, but I have no record player. So the audio comes courtesy, once again, of Steve Eunice and the Superman homepage collection. So thank you very much, Steve. And first up is a tale that, really, it's made me afraid of Flounder. And in which Superman gets confused, thinks he's Aquaman. Uh, and we get a CSI-style confession at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, the mystery of the Mad Minnows. A few diehards, hoping to catch the last rays of the setting sun, lie on their blankets amongst the tin-can litter and broken glass of Crystal Beach. Mmm, that sun feels good. Oh boy, what a day! <laughs> Tan me, son! Suddenly, from out of the pounding surf, a million minnows in a mad dance formation squirm their way onto the beach and completely cover one of the unsuspecting bathers. Screams of panic are heard as both blanket and bather are pulled into the sea. <coughs> Up on the boardwalk stand two horrified onlookers, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, both reporters for Galaxy Communications, who happen to be visiting Crystal Beach to cover a Rotary Club meeting. Call Galaxy, Lois. I I'm going down to help. Hurry! Lois Lane rushes to a nearby phone booth and reaches Clark Kent, anchorman on the evening news, at his office. Clark, it's incredible. 
A school of minnows at Crystal Beach seems to be going mad. There are millions of them. Jimmy's trying to help. Oh, good heavens. They've got Jimmy. Hurry, Clark. I'm going to call the police. And on the beach, Jimmy's cries are drowned out by an immense flounder on his back as he is carried out to sea. While at WGBS, Clark Kent, now miraculously changed into Superman, opens the window of his office. I don't know what the meaning of this is, but it sounds to me like a job for Superman. And, streaking across the metropolis sky, Superman's X-ray vision spots Jimmy and the hapless sunbather as they're being dragged under the murky surf for what might just be the last time. Meanwhile, on a nearby tidal marsh, bird watcher Bill Talon is taking notes on some very strange bird behavior. <sighs> Those gulls have been circling longer than I've ever seen before. Suddenly, Talon picks up his binoculars. Good heavens! They're all flying upside down! I think I'll call my friend Perry White about this one. Mystified, Talon reports the strange occurrence to his longtime friend, Perry White, editor of the Metropolis Daily Planet. Yes, Bill. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I'll send Jimmy Olsen out to check on this immediately. Well, Clark? Where's Jimmy Olsen? Clark! Unable to locate Jimmy, Perry stops by the office of Clark Kent, Jimmy's longtime friend and co-worker. Clark, oh, for gosh sakes, they're both gone. Where is that Clark? Oh, biggest story in days. While at Crystal Point, Superman dives down into the sea and pulls the two drowning victims to the boardwalk, where Lois Lane has been anxiously watching the macabre scene taking place on the beach. Oh, Superman, thank goodness you've arrived. How did you know? No time for answers now, Lois. I've got to find out what's causing this strange behavior in our fish population. As he looks out toward the crashing ocean, Superman's X-ray eyes and high-intensity ears detect the high-pitched voices and forms of seven bottlenose dolphins. If anyone can give me the answer to this riddle, I'll get it from the teachers, not the school. Wait here, Lois. Up, up. Then, in a dive that takes the Man of Steel hundreds of feet beneath the fouled waters, Superman swims down, down, faster than an atomic submarine, and finally settles in the depths of the murky waters and begins to decipher and learn the unique porpoise language. Yes? I understand. Your aquasphere has recently been polluted. Yeah. By a foul-smelling substance. All the fishes in the Crystal Point area have been overcome uh, by what? Oh, you call it the tidal marsh madness. And because you dolphins breathe air, you have not gone mad. But you're having much trouble. Your eyesight's been affected. Hmm. Acne. Sore throats, huh? All my poor friends. We must do something immediately about these hideously polluting substances in our waters. Far beyond the power of man's sciences, Superman's supervision rapidly breaks down the substances composing the hideous pollutant as he makes a mental note of each chemical substance in its relationship to the horrible whole. 
Thank you, friends, for the invaluable information you've given me. Superman thanks the wise dolphins for their help and in one great jump rises out of the waters of Crystal Point. While at the Daily Planet, Perry is still pondering over the strange story of the upside-down gulls and finally decides to leave a note for Clark Kent just as Superman appears in Clark's office window. Great Scott, Superman. Can't, can't you use the door? You frighten me to death. Well, I must admit I'm certainly glad you're here. Perry tells Superman Bill the Birdwatcher's strange story. Very interesting. Now, Perry, where's your map of Metropolis? Aha, just as I suspected. Just as Superman suspected, the bird sanctuary is located right next to the site of the new experimental biochem industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Birds upside down. Mad minnows. Pardon the pun, Perry, but something's fishy, and it all begins to add up to that new factory next to the tidal marsh. And... At Biochem Industries, the floodgates have just been closed and all evidence of the day's experiments washed out to sea. Metropolis seems very peaceful as Superman races across the moonless sky. I've got to get a look at what's going on at that plant, and I think I can do that best in the guise of Clark Kent. Screeching to a stop, on the now deserted beach, Superman returns to his role as Clark Kent and rings the bell of the biochem industrial complex. Beside the lead-plated bar door, a night watchman answers the bell. Who are you? What do you want? I'm sorry to disturb you, but I've got some transportation difficulties and I'm stranded out here. Could I use your phone? Well, son, I'm sorry, but no one's allowed into this place except those who belong here. What do you mean? Listen, all I want to do is use your phone. What is this place, anyway? What do they do here? This is the Biochem Industrial Laboratories, and what they do here, well, it's top secret, mister, and it's nobody's business but our own. The night watchman slams the door in Clark's face, but not before Superman's X-ray eyes have easily beamed past the watchman and into the lab, where, with his supervision, he can see that the vials contain all the chemicals necessary to manufacture the foul stuff he has just seen in the ocean, and where, with Superman's super nose, he can smell the same hideous odor discernible in the filthy waters at Crystal Point. And at the very same moment, in his enormous mansion overlooking the tidal marsh, Brian Sanders, president of Biochem, is holding a meeting of the board of directors of the corporation. Brian pounds his gavel on the table to call the meeting to order. We have, we have only one thing for discussion tonight, and that's our experiment. We must press ahead quickly. If we work fast enough, we'll easily outmaneuver our competitors, and very soon Biochem will control the whole chemical market completely. But, Brian, to continue in this matter is to risk our environment, and I, for one, will not That's be... enough, Dr. Main. But... You're fired. But... Suddenly... Superman! Just as I thought, it's you, Brian Sanders. You have put yourself above all that we value and cherish in Metropolis. You're as ugly and useless as the aluminum cans that litter the shore of Crystal Beach and too many other beaches of the world. No, Superman! This is certainly going to be a, a temporary situation. Please believe me, I must gain control of the market. If I do, maybe people will respect me as they respect you. Oh, please, Superman, I, I must be allowed to continue my experiment. Respect? Have you ever heard of the Tidal Marsh Madness, Sanders? 
Have you ever seen an innocent bather swept into the sea by millions of mad, mindless minnows? Have you ever noticed the murky waters at what used to be called Crystal Clear Beach? Sanders begins to weep. <laughs> what have I done? I would never dream of doing anything to make you angry, Superman. I've searched for power only so you and others would look up to me. What can I do now, Superman? Is there anything I can do to make amends? Simply understand that to be number one at the expense of all other living creatures is to be zero. And now to follow that up is a tale of the world's most famous rock group being held ransom. It's not as odd as the Mad Minnows, but it does have a certain charm. This is P.O. Box 65. At a hard rock concert at Metropolis Stadium, 80,000 screaming kids are dancing in the aisles to the great beat of the Tones, the world's most popular rock group. The stage is heavily guarded by 550 special police who know how excited and exuberant the Tones fans get at their concerts and who are there to protect the group in case things get out of hand. In real life, the Tones are brothers, and Jimmy Tone, the group's lead singer and lead guitarist, is halfway through their latest hit song when suddenly... Jimmy drops his guitar and stares up at the sky as though mesmerized by what he sees hovering directly over the stage. Slowly, a net is lowered out of the belly of the jet helicopter. The crowd has spotted the copter, too, and a frantic scream goes up as their fans realize the tones are about to be scooped up into the net and carried off. I don't believe this. Let's get out of here. But it's too late. In seconds, the net drops over the stage, picks up all five tones, and the helicopter flies off. Within five minutes of the spectacular kidnap stunt, the phone rings in Clark Kent's apartment. Kent happens to be a great fan of the tones, and faint strains of their hit song can be heard in the background. Hello? Clark, it's Lois. Get to Metropolis Stadium as soon as you can. The tones have just been kidnapped, right in front of 80,000 people. No one knows what's happening or who's done it. I'll meet you on the stage. The Tones? Kidnapped? I'll be there in 30 minutes or less. No leads. Well, I have 30 minutes or less to meet Lois, so I think I'll hop over to Metropolis Stadium now as Superman. And on stage at Metropolis Stadium, confusion. Police and stagehands are fighting to keep the Tones' frantic fans off the stage. Superman approaches Police Chief Edwards, who tells him what's happened, and introduces him to the promoter of the show, Bill Freeman. Unbelievable, Superman. The greatest rock group in the world. I had to refund 80,000 tickets. I don't believe it. Lois Lane appears on the stage. Superman, this is incredible. A kidnapping in broad daylight in front of 80,000 people. Lois, this can only be the work of Dr. B. He's obsessed with the idea of building a supercomputer which will enable him to take over the world. I'm sure you're right, Superman. B's always had a great sense of the dramatic. Oh, where is Clark? He's missing the whole story. The last time I saw B, he and Domino were left stranded on an island in the middle of the Dead Sea. Their half-completed computer and all means of transportation to the mainland all smashed beyond repair. Okay, Lois, I'm off to check on B's recent whereabouts and his activities. I'll talk to you later. Almost immediately after Superman's departure, Clark Kent appears on the scene. What happened? What's going on? We'd better get right back to the Galaxy Building. I'll fill you in on the way. Meanwhile, in the tower apartment of Dr. B, high above Metropolis, the Tones have been fed tranquilizers and are piled in a heap on the living room floor 
Out cold, Dr. B's assistant associate, Domino, is muttering to himself. Ugly-looking bunch, if I must say so myself. One by one, the tones begin to wake up, moaning and groaning. My head. Where are we? <laughs> what a party. Must have been great. All at once, the boys realize what's happened as they note their strange surroundings, and simultaneously... Hey, what's the meaning of this? Control yourself, Tones. Shortly you'll meet Dr. B. He'll tell you what's happened, and what's going to happen. In the meantime, you'll do as I say, understand? Just then, Dr. B enters the room. <laughs> I see our guests have awakened, Domino. Yes, you are my guest, Tones, in my tower apartment, hidden away from the eyes of the world, and most particularly, from the X-ray eyes of Superman. You see, the walls of my apartment are lined with lead. We're in an impenetrable fortress high above Metropolis. And by the time Superman is able to locate us, I will already have succeeded in manufacturing artificial kryptonite through the means of the giant computer, which I will be able to build immediately upon receipt of the proceeds which I receive as your ransom money. <laughs> what? I can assure you, you'll be held in captivity until I receive one dollar each from ten million of your fans for your release. And if I haven't received ten million dollars by this time next week, I'm afraid I'll be forced to take unpleasant measures to assure its receipt. <laughs> but why us? Why you? Because your group is the most popular rock group in the world. Your fans can't live without you. And I need a lot of money. Fast! What giant computer? The giant computer which will be the basis for the super city I'll put in orbit over Metropolis and the planet Earth. The computer which will make me King Bee of a world hive. Everyone in the world will work for me and for my pleasures. My computer will make me more powerful than Superman has been or ever would have been if I were to allow him to survive. <laughs> I think you're crazy, Dr. B. There are snickers from the tones. Superman will never let you get away with this, you know. I'm afraid Superman will have no choice in the matter. The last time we three met, Superman flew off thinking he had left us powerless and stranded on an island in the Dead Sea. As though it were just yesterday, Domino vividly describes to the Tones the secret island in the Dead Sea where Dr. B was engaged in manufacturing artificial gold with which he intended to finance the same computer. If I were to alter the course of Comet Z and direct it toward Dr. B's hidden gold plant, B's factory would be smashed along with B's yacht and Piper Cub. He and Domino will be left harmless on their island and the world will be saved from B's domination. Comet Z smashed our factory and all means of transportation, but miraculously, Dr. B and I escaped. Only to re-emerge now with an equally bizarre scheme to gain a lot of money. And that evening, Clark Kent, anchorman for the 6 o'clock news on WGBS, is unceremoniously cut off in the middle of the story on the sensational kidnapping of the Tones. And Dr. B's face unaccountably appears on the screens of the television sets of everyone around the world. Today, as you must already have learned, I kidnapped the Tones. Your idols will remain unharmed if and only if I receive one dollar each from ten million Tones fans within seven days. You may mail your dollars to Post Office Box 65, Grand Stationed, Metropolis, USA. Zip 10004. 
By the next day, the post office was flooded with letters addressed to Post Office Box 65. By the end of the day, over four million letters had already been received by Dr. B. And at Galaxy Communications, in the office of Perry White, fearless editor of the Daily Planet. At least we know this much, Perry. Dr. B will stop at nothing in his pursuit to rule. Therefore, he must be stopped. But how? He has the tones and will hold them hostage in his impenetrable lead-lined fortress unless and until he manufactures his artificial kryptonite with which he'll then render you powerless. It looks like I'll just have to build a better computer than B does, one that will outthink B's computer and render it harmless. But what about the tones? Don't worry, Lois. The tones will be all right. Their fans will free them. They'll probably send in $15 million, and Dr. B will release them before he discovers that I have put together a computer far more intelligent and advanced than his. And indeed, three days later, the tones are found bound and gagged under the stage at Metropolis Stadium. They'd been freed not ten feet away from the spot from which they'd been kidnapped, and they weren't quite ready at that moment to get on with the show. While circling in the skies above the planet Earth, Dr. B has programmed his computer to produce artificial kryptonite particles, which he'll then feed into the Earth's atmosphere, thereby polluting the air with kryptonite and leaving Superman powerless forever. Domino, throw the switch! And it goes, Dr. B. Uh, but, but, but wait! What's the matter? There's something wrong here. The indicator light is blinking red. What's happened? That's the computer. All right, all right. Here comes the answer. What does it say? The card reads... I have been superseded by another computer. That computer belongs to Superman, and it is much more intelligent than I. I can do nothing to harm Superman because his computer will blow my fuses if I ever make such an attempt. I don't believe it! I don't believe it! Domino, throw the switch one more time! As Domino throws the switch against the warning of the helpless computer, the fuses within the giant machine are blown with such force that B's circling city to be is thrown completely off its orbit and out into space, ostensibly free-falling for eternity, as Dr. B screams, You think you're rid of me, Superman, but I'll be back, and next time I'll win! <laughs> And the final installment features an overexcited young scientist with a flair for merchandising that would place him right at home on Mad Men. Our final installment this evening is Weatherspoon's Catalyst. In a crude laboratory in the basement of his home, D. Allison Weatherspoon, a brilliant young biophysicist, has been working on the invention of an alternate energy source to come to the aid of an oil-starved world. Today is Weatherspoon's 21st birthday. Ah. <sighs> At last, a catalyst to speed up the fermentation of quick-growing spores which give off a gaseous byproduct similar to marsh gas. The gas can be compressed and stored in tanks and can be used to run the new, virtually friction-free rotary engine I've developed. It will be called Voila! And it will provide a cheap, unlimited source of power for everyone and anyone. Realizing the vast potential of his discovery, Weatherspoon decides to telephone WGBS and release the news to humanity. Ah, oh, what a great birthday present to myself. A present for the world. Now everyone will be capable of creating his own fuel. They can grow it in their backyards and store it in their basements. Galaxy Communications, Clark Kent here. Oh, Mr. Kent, 
You're an anchorman on the 6 o'clock news, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, my name's D. Allison Weatherspoon, son of the famous physicist C. Allison Weatherspoon. Well, I've discovered an alternate source of energy to the limited sources we now know of and use today. That's an astounding statement, Weatherspoon. Are you sure? Well, of course I'm sure. Voila! Make it for yourself. How's that for a headline, huh? Uh, do you understand what this will mean to the world? Oh, by the way, a uh, personal note, Mr. Kent. Today is my 21st birthday, so, well, I'd like to make the announcement today. <laughs> you understand? Well, yes. Happy birthday, Weatherspoon. But listen, you can't announce your discovery just like that. First, of course, we have to make certain that it works. What? Well, of course it works. And once that's been established, we must make certain such a miracle fuel will be put to use. You remember the rumor of the gas pill that had only to be dropped in water? Well, of course. And it was an excellent idea, too. Ah, then you can see why your discovery must be kept top secret until the people are capable of controlling its use and making sure that such a fuel will be used only for the benefit of the people. Of all the people. Yes, yes. You're quite right, Mr. Kent. You're quite right. You must understand, Witherspoon, there are evil-minded persons in the world who will try to control your invention for their own selfish ends, and narrow-minded persons as well who know only their own way of doing things and are afraid to try new ways, no matter how much better they might be. Change is always frightening, but it is growth. Why? Why, oh, why must power always corrupt? All power corrupts, yes, although Superman... You're right, though. Over the years, Superman has handled immense power and has always retained a sense of justice and fair play. Well, Superman knows he could gain all, but if he were to try, he'd only lose it. You know, Mr. Kent, while we've been talking, I've decided to place my invention in the hands of Superman. Well, he's just the person I need right now. A man with nothing to gain and nothing to lose. A man who's proved himself to be on the side of humanity. I think that's a very good idea, Dr. Weatherspoon. And I think I know just where Superman can be found at this moment. Incredible! You are a Superman, Mr. Kent. You've helped me out enormously with my problem. So what if I can't announce my discovery on my birthday? It won't kill me, huh? <laughs> well, anyway, today I received my inheritance from my father. And it includes a paper which was to be entrusted to me on my 21st birthday. I assume I'll be the inheritor of another of my father's fabulous inventions, as well as my own. Well, I can't wait to read my father's letter now. You may actually want to be present when I receive the envelope, Mr. Kent. You see, Perry White, editor of the Daily Planet, was one of my father's dearest friends, and he's the executor of my dad's estate. It's Uncle Perry who will be passing on to me my father's last words, which will undoubtedly be brilliant. That's great news. I'll be there, but do me a favor. Don't leave your house or go anywhere until after you've seen Superman. Can you promise me that? Well, Mr. Kent, sometimes the worst of times brings out the best in men, as my daddy always used to say. <laughs> Imagine, a cheap and harmonious fuel with no noxious fumes. <laughs> Voila! Weatherspoon stands in awe before his simple engine, now fully aware of all its meaning and ramifications. No, no, Mr. Kent. I won't leave. I won't be picking up Dad's letter until 3 o'clock this afternoon. In the meantime, I'll wait right here for Superman. 
At the same time, in an abandoned subterranean atomic silo, 80 miles beneath the crust of the Earth, monitoring Allison's conversation with WGBS, the forces of evil, of protective device and self-interest, are gathering every bit of information they can get in an effort to put together a scheme to learn Weatherspoon's secret and thereby gain control of the miraculous fuel by whatever means necessary. Back in Weatherspoon's basement... Now I can understand how Copernicus, Galileo, and Edison must have felt. Well, they were all links in the long chain of men whose Einsteinian minds must have formed the rungs of the ladder of thought that's led me to the great discovery of voila. The bell rings, and Allison flicks on his videotape television alarm system. On the screen appears the familiar red and yellow S of Superman. <gasps> it's Superman. Wow, Kent sure found him fast. Weatherspoon speaks into the walkie-talkie system. He is connected to his doorbell. Uh, Superman, I'll be right up. I've been expecting you. Allison races up the stairs, two at a time, opens the door, and at once feels a tiny prick of pain as one of the two thugs who's waiting beside the doorway plunges a giant hypodermic needle into Weatherspoon's right arm, a needle containing a combination of an instant sleep-inducing drug and a truth serum. The other thug takes down the picture of Superman's chest from in front of the camera of Weatherspoon's videotape alarm system, and Allison is tossed into the back of a waiting ambulance. The two men climb in after him, and the vehicle drives off. Moments later, Clark Kent, Jimmy Olsen, and Lois Lane pull up in front of Allison's modest home. Look, that's funny. The door is slightly open. Hmm. Something strange here. That door shouldn't be open. Jimmy and Lois stare at Clark, who has bent over to touch a minuscule drop of red on the doorstep. Clark speaks as if to himself. Hmm. Blood. Clark, you're half blind. Don't be such an alarmist. I don't see anything there. Still bemused by his discovery of a drop of type B blood on Weatherspoon's doorstep with the aid of Superman's X-ray eyes, Kent zooms in on a counter in Allison's laboratory. Hmm. Allison pricked his finger on a broken test tube last week. Sure enough, there's a spot of type B blood on the counter. Anyway, Clark, you wouldn't know blood if you saw it. Anytime there's any danger, you're never around. I'm a pacifist, Lois. I deplore violence. So I've noticed. Jimmy pushes open the door, and Clark and Lois follow him inside the house and down the stairs to the basement. Dr. Weatherspoon, Allison, are you here? As the trio walk down the stairs, Clark scans the house to confirm to himself what he already knows. Allison is gone. Hey, look at this. Weatherspoon left a funny-looking engine going. He'd never go off and leave something like this running, would he? My worst suspicions have been verified. If Allison's secret should become known to the wrong people, entire economic systems could be destroyed. An immediate empire could be built. And once again, mankind's the loser. This is a job for Superman. Jimmy, Lois, I just remembered I must... Uh, does anyone have an aspirin? Uh-oh. Looks like trouble. Clark's splitting, and every, every time Clark leaves, have you noticed, Lois? There's trouble. As Clark runs back up the basement stairs and outside... Clark, where are you going? Clark spots a taxi and hails it. I'm going back to the office in case Weatherspoon calls in. You two take the Galaxy limo and drive around the neighborhood and see if you can find him. Check with the neighbors. Maybe they know where he's gone off to. 
Galaxy Communications driver, and hurry. Okay, Mac. As the taxi pulls up in front of the Galaxy building in the shelter of the cab and faster than any human eye can see, Kent leaves a dollar bill on the seat of the cab, changes into his natural role as Superman, and is flying through the sky above Metropolis on his way back to Weatherspoons to pick up the trail of the missing scientist before the taxi driver can turn around to tell his passenger how much he owes him. What? Where'd that guy go so fast? <laughs> you think he was Superman? Superman's X-ray vision spots the faint tracks of what might be an ambulance pulling away from in front of Allison's house. Hmm, that's interesting. First, a minuscule drop of blood on the doorstep that could easily have come from the prick of a hypodermic needle. And now, looks like those tire tracks could have been made by an ambulance. Aha, uh -huh, there it is now, pulling up in front of the abandoned atomic silo site just outside the city. Hmm, I can see nothing inside the silo. It's lead-lined, of course, due to possible atomic radiation. Up, up, and then spinning himself rapidly around in a counterclockwise motion, his arms in dive position, Superman transforms himself into a human power drill and plunges down 80 feet below the Earth's surface, boring closer and closer toward the headquarters of CSDC, Counter System Development Center, headed by none other than Malcolm Mullock, known to his friends and enemies alike as Mole. Meantime, inside the silo... Let's see whether or not the truce serum's taken effect on our friend Dr. Weatherspoon. The drug administered to Weatherspoon has been perfectly timed so that as the sleeping potion wears off, the truth serum immediately begins to take effect. Allison moans and his eyes flutter open. Ah, Weatherspoon, your formula. But Weatherspoon's psychological resistance to the truth serum is so strong that his whole body has gone rigid, as if he were paralyzed, and he can't even open his mouth to speak, even though, under the influence of the serum, he'd be more than willing to tell the truth to the Mole if he could. Mole, just about to grab Weatherspoon and shake him until he talks, steps back as Superman bursts through the lead side of the silo, throws his indestructible cape about the three men like they were three leftover Brussels sprouts about to be wrapped up in saran wrap and put in the refrigerator to keep. I'll just knock this cape at the end here. There, that should hold you until I get back to pick up my cape. Weatherspoon, I've got to get you to the hospital immediately. I'll deal with you later, Mole. Hours later, in an interview at Metropolis Hospital with Perry White and Clark Kent. So that's the scoop, Clark. And when I woke up, Superman was gone. But I'd sure like to thank him. And I sure hope he's watching the evening news tonight. I hope so, too, Allison. Perry, can we bring the cameras in for a close-up? I'd like to get a picture of Allison opening the envelope his father left for him. Certainly, Clark. Here it is, Allison. The envelope your father left with me is executor of his estate, to be handed over to you upon your 21st birthday, which is today. Uncle Perry, you've been like a father to me since my own father's death. I'm feeling weak. Could you... would you please read me what it says? Of course, Allison. Uh, that's enough now, Clark. Get your cameras out of here and give us a little privacy. Perry turns to Allison as everyone else leaves the hospital room, tears open the envelope, then begins to read. <clears throat> Two cups peeled, cored, sliced green apples, one half cup brown sugar, one tablespoon cinnamon. What on earth? 
I, I don't understand. One egg, two tablespoons lemon juice. Oh, no, Uncle Perry. It sounds like the recipe handed down to my mother from her mother, who, of course, got it from her mother. I think it's the recipe from my mom's green apple pie. <laughs> Great Scott. And that brings this episode of Superman Forever Radio to an end. Remember that Charlie Niemeyer and I will be live broadcasting at the first Super Minicon on June 8, 2013 at 1 p.m. Otherwise, look for that episode next week right here. And until then, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Superman Forever Radio is a NatWorld production. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review. The show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com, where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. And episodes are also available on Stitcher Radio. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com. You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at superdaveweeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.